Hi everybody, it's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome, or welcome back, to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. You know, most kids do not like discipline too much, even when discipline is done out of love. We, we know that discipline is not always done out of love. Sometimes it's done out of anger. But even when it's done out of love and, the, and for the best of our kids, our kids often don't like discipline. I remember one of the earliest times of discipline with our oldest child, Jessica. One night we had served her dinner and we told her, you have to finish everything that's on your plate. I mean, that was something I grew up with. We were like, you know, no, no kid of mine is going to leave food on their plate and waste it and stuff. So, so we told her, you have to sit here until you have finished all of your food. And so... She uh, sat there for several hours and then finally fell asleep. And um, lest you think that we are we're truly abusive parents, I mean, we, we actually did take her and put her in bed. And we wrapped up the food in the refrigerator, pulled it out for breakfast the next morning, said, you're not having anything else to eat until you eat this food. And so it worked. That, that training, that discipline worked for her because she will not leave any food on her plate to this day. However, that, that chicken dish that had like the celery casserole kind of thing, like she will not eat that to, to this day. Like there's some trauma in all of that, that experience. So, you know, there's generally two reasons why we discipline. One is that there's a, a blind spot. There, there's just something that you don't know yet. Like Jessica just didn't know yet. I mean, it started out as she just didn't know yet. This is a thing you do. It's like you eat all the food that's, that's been given to you. You're grateful for it and you, and you eat it. But then it becomes, the, the other reason why we're disciplined is because of rebellion. When we say, no, I'm going to dig my heels in and I'm going to do this my way. And in either one of those situations, we generally don't appreciate the discipline. I mean, if we did understand and appreciate the discipline, probably we wouldn't need the discipline in the first place. So even though it's not appreciated, parents who love their kids and God who loves their children can't ignore situations where discipline is needed. Because we, we don't want our kids to stay stuck in something that is not good for them. We, we don't want our kids to stay stuck. God doesn't want his children to stay stuck doing things or running in the opposite direction from him. So he's really obligated out of love to discipline us. And today we're going to talk about God's discipline and find out how some of the hardest lessons in life Come through the greatest love. If you would take a Bible and turn with me to Jonah chapter 2. We are in a series that we're calling Strange Grace. And last week, Jeremy launched us. Launched us 
he laughed at his jokes more last week. Um, he, he launched us uh, because God gave the prophet Jonah an assignment. He said, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to give them the message that I have for them. And Jonah, as, as Daryl just stole some of my thunder, Jonah rebelled. He, he ran in the opposite direction. And God sees Jonah fleeing and says, I can't let you continue in your rebellion. So he intervenes. He brings hurling grace, strange grace, hurling grace. He hurls this wind on the sea, creates a storm. And the sailors hurl Jonah into the sea. And Jeremy left you last week with a cliffhanger, which is a, which is a great technique to like, you know, raise our, you know, excitement about what's going to happen. And I know you've been in angst all week, like wondering, it, I mean, is Jonah going to drown? What's going to happen? Let's satisfy your anxiety here this morning. Reading the last verse of chapter one. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The Lord appointed a great fish. We're going to see that word appointed four times in this book of Jonah. God later on is going to appoint a plant. He's going to appoint a worm. He's going to appoint a scorching east wind. And every time God appoints something in the story of Jonah, he is intervening into human affairs in a supernatural way. None of the things that happen when he appoints something are things that just happen every day. They're all unique supernatural events. And they're intensely personal God is dealing with Jonah in a very personal way because he has something he wants Jonah to, to learn here. Or, or he wants to accomplish something in Jonah's life. And so the first thing God does is to appoint a great fish to swallow Jonah. Now I want to take a moment here and talk about the believability of this book. The historicity of this book. Jeremy talked about this last week. I feel like we, we need to talk about it again um, as we dive into this fish story. As we dive into this fish story. Wow, this is a rough crowd this morning. Um, a lot of people uh, obviously dismiss this as, as a fable, as a myth. I mean, they may dismiss it and yet recognize it's a great literary piece. I mean, it, it is an amazing short story. It's, it's kind of a small masterpiece. So, I mean, set aside the fact that it's, it's thousands of years old. I mean, the characters, the irony, the word plays. I mean, it's, it's, a great, it's a great story, but a lot of people believe it, it didn't really happen. So, I, I could spend some time talking about the plausibility of being swallowed by a large fish. I could tell you about, and this is true, two SeaWorld marine biologists who have given some thought to this and said, what, what kind of sea creatures could swallow a person? And what they have 
come up with and, and said this could be possible is that a sperm whale would be a possibility. Sperm whales have an esophagus that's pretty large. And if Jonah was not a huge guy, he could have been swallowed down whole. Actually, the interesting thing is that they said preferable to that option would be a great white shark, believe it or not. I mean, so, I mean, we know that generally great white sharks don't swallow people at least whole. They, they generally tend to chew them up, you know, limb, limb by limb, very bloody, you know, kind of things. But, but here's, here's what I would say to that is, if the God of the Bible can shut the mouths of lions to save a prophet, then I think he can pry open the jaws of a great white shark or any other animal to have them swallow someone whole. And if we go back um, to the beginning and we go back to Genesis 1, and if we believe that there is a God who spoke all of creation into existence just by the power of the words of his mouth, if God can do that, then I think it's quite possible for him to hurl a storm onto a sea or to appoint a fish to swallow a person. So I think it's very plausible that, that this happened. And, and on top of all of that, as Jeremy pointed out last week, Jesus believed that this really happened. I mean, in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus pointed to his greatest mission, the greatest event of history that changes everything, that provides for the redemption of all the, the universe and every one of us personally. He pointed to that event that was to come, that he would accomplish by looking back to Jonah and saying, just as that happened, this is going to happen. Jesus believed it happened so we don't get to dismiss it as a fable. I think this really happened. And so, chapter 1, verse 17, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, today, we're going to look at Jonah's response. And I want you to pay attention as we, as we read chapter 2. To Jonah's attitude towards God. Okay, keep in mind, he's just been rebelling. Okay, he's just been running in the opposite direction of what God asked him to do. Now, let's, let's see if his attitude has changed. Chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. There's a glimmer of hope here. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. 
I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit. Oh, Lord, my God, I went down to I'm rereading verse six. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. He's sinking down to the bottom of the ocean. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. Oh, Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Pretty amazing. Verse 9, he's giving thanks. I, with the voice of thanksgiving. Question, how does someone in the belly of a fish give thanks? I mean, imagine for, for just a moment. Imagine what this must have been like for, for Jonah. Imagine the smell. I mean, if you can imagine that smell without getting nauseous. Imagine the, the darkness. I mean, I suspect that in all the throwing overboard and getting swallowed and everything, probably his phone got broken somewhere, and so he, the, the light wasn't going to work, you know, to be able to shine it around. I mean, there's, it's dark. It's pitch black in, in here. The, the fish is continuing to move, so he's probably feeling seasick. And in the midst of all of that, he is giving that. Oh, and he probably had a hard time breathing. I mean, that's actually, that's probably the hardest thing to, to figure out. Like, how could he have survived in this belly for three days and three nights? How much oxygen could there have been? He is probably struggling in all these ways. Yet, verse 9, I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. How does somebody give thanks in the middle, in the belly of a whale? Answer, because he knows it could have been worse. Because he knows that he could be dead right now. I mean, he talks about that in his prayer. Verse 3, God, you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. The flood surrounded me. Verse 5, the waters closed in over me to take my life. He was, he was on the brink of death here. God has taken Jonah from rebellion to thanksgiving. Via the root of panicked fear of death. And then rescue. Via the root of losing all illusion of control. I mean, that's what you see in, in Jonah's prayer here. He has completely lost control. I mean, some of, some of you are like me. Some of you know that feeling in the water. Like, I never learned to, to swim well growing up. And so there are moments still today when I'm in the water where I literally, I just, I feel like, man, I'm in over my head. Like, there's been moments in my life where I'm like, I don't know if I'm getting out of here alive. Some of you don't know what that feels like because some of you are just like fish in the water and just comes very naturally to you. But I dare say every one of us has experienced the feeling at some, in some area of our life where we felt out of control, where we felt like I can't get my footing as hard as I'm trying right now. I just, I, I just feel like I'm drowning. Sometimes God has to shake from us all illusion of control 
so that we will call on him. Sometimes God has to shake us out of our feeling like we're in control. Because most of the time we're going through life, we're like, yeah, I got this. I mean, it's going pretty well. Sometimes he has to shake away from us that feeling that we're in control, the illusion of control, so that we will call out to him. That, that's what Jonah does here at the beginning of his prayer in verse 2. I called out to the Lord out of my distress. That's the only time some people call on the Lord is out of their distress. If things are going fine, I'm doing fine. I don't need you, God. I'll just call on you when I need you. I'll call on you out of my distress. So God threw Jonah in the deep end to shake him out of control, but he threw him a life raft. See, God delivers great grace through deep discipline. God delivers great grace through deep discipline. It's hard. Discipline is hard. I mean, Jonah, what Jonah is getting here is a maritime out. A maritime out. You should write these down and think about them later. I mean, so God is delivering grace through this deep discipline. How, how is he doing that? How is God delivering grace right now? Well, number one, he didn't let Jonah go. Number two, he didn't let Jonah die. Number one, he didn't let Jonah go his own way, continue in rebellion. Jonah, could he could have just let the boat go. God could have just let the boat go, reach Tarshish. Jonah just go on with his life. Maybe he settles in Tarshish. Maybe he just stays there for a while until he feels like God's, you know, it's blown over. And then he goes back home. He could just let him go on and, and continue in a direction apart from God, living his life separated from God. But God said no. He, he hurled him into the water. And God delivers grace to him by not letting him die. He appoints this fish. I mean, this is severe correction. I mean, it may, no doubt. I hope, I pray I never go through anything quite this awful. It's severe correction. But God is doing it with good in mind. See, God always disciplines us with good in, in mind. I want to read to you, and we'll put this on the screen. I want to read to you a a pretty long passage here from Hebrews. And and, and I ask you to stick with me through this because it, it gets a little squirmish and uncomfortable because it's talking all about how uncomfortable discipline is. But stay with me through this because there's a payoff at the end, okay? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? 
For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Here's the payoff. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. See, we we love the payoff at the end. We love the good that comes from discipline. We love the payoff. We just usually don't like the pain. We, We like to skip ahead through the pain to get to the payoff. But the thing is, that doesn't work in any area of life. If you want to become a world-class athlete, you, you don't skip through the pain. You, you don't skip the discipline. It, it requires pain. It requires sacrifice. You don't become a great musician, a great scientist, a great leader, fill in the blank. You don't become a great anything easily. It's painful. It takes sacrifice. It takes Discipline. I want to talk about the word discipline just, just for a moment. That, that word is actually a neutral word. I mean, I started out the message kind of talking about kids don't like discipline. And a lot of times when we think of the word discipline, we think of correction. We think of like, I'm getting something that I, I don't want. And, and so, and getting something painful. But there, there's another aspect to the word discipline, and that is just the, the discipline of training. And actually, the word in Hebrews, the, the word that we just read from, from Hebrews chapter 4, that Greek word, is, it's a very neutral word. It really has to do with training and being trained and being built up and, and growing in our skills, in our endurance. And so, discipline can come about because of rebellion, as in the case of Jonah. But it also can come about when God is wanting to train us and grow us in an area and in our skills in just a very positive way. There are trials in life that come about just because the world is broken. Not not every bad thing that happens, not every difficult thing that happens in your life is because you did something wrong. So James chapter, James in chapter one talks about, um, he, he calls us to consider it joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that God is testing you. He's building your perseverance. And so that doesn't mean you've done something wrong. It's just that God allows trials in our lives to build us up. And so I want to lift a burden from some of you this morning because maybe you're listening to this message and you're thinking, wow, okay, Jonah was in rebellion. And so God did something really hard in his life to try to get his attention. And maybe you're looking at your own life right now and you're saying, wow, I have, I've, I've got a cancer diagnosis or I, I have a, a job loss, or I have some other very unwelcome thing that's happening to me right now. Maybe God is trying to get my attention because maybe I did something wrong. I, I just want to lift a burden from you because, again, not everything that is hard in life is happening because you did something wrong. And if you 
are wrestling with that question, if you're asking God, did I do something wrong here? I'll say probably chances are your discipline is not because you're in rebellion. Because usually people who are in rebellion don't really care at the moment what God thinks. So if you're asking God, and I would encourage you to do this because because maybe some of you haven't been asking God and maybe some of you, life has been coming after you and it's been difficult and, and maybe you need to ask the question, God, are you trying to get through to me something here? It's always, it's always good to ask the Lord, God, God, what do you want me to learn from this? Whatever trial we're in, which may or may not be a correction, it's always good to ask God, what do you want me to learn? Whether it's because of rebellion or, or just trials in life, one, one thing that's true always of training and discipline is that it reminds us we're not in control. I mean, God sometimes knocks our feet out from under us so that we will kneel in obedience before him. God brings great grace through deep discipline. Jonah ends his prayer with a a perfect summary. The last line here in verse 9, salvation belongs to the Lord. That's a huge lesson. It's a key lesson in the book of Jonah. And it sounds good that he's gotten this far, but unfortunately, Jonah has a whole lot more to learn. I mean, if if you read his prayer carefully, Jonah never repents for his disobedience. And in fact, his prayer is very self-centered. You can can count, if you want to count through here, he has 27 mentions of I and me and my, 15 mentions of God. That's never a good thing when when you're more focused on yourself than you are. On God. This is, I mean, God did a, he got his attention, but Jonah's still got a long way to go here. At least at the end, he's committing to honor God. In, in verse nine, he's saying, I, I promise with the voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you and what I have vowed, I will pay. And I, I just have to point out that the sailors did this. Back in chapter 1, verse 16, the, the sailors feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. I mean, they've already done that. Look how far God had to, what, what God had to do in Jonah's life to get him to the point that the sailors already were, were at. It takes hard discipline to break a hard heart. So, we do better to, to break our heart before the Lord and soften our heart before the Lord so he doesn't have to bring the hard discipline for us. It's so much easier if we just obey. Like the fish did in verse 10, the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. That you love that the word vomit is, is, is in the Bible. So God spoke to the fish and he did what he, what he commanded. I mean, the great irony of this book is in chapter 1, we see a rebellious prophet of God, and we see repentant sailors. And in chapter 2, we see this disobedient prophet of God and an obedient fish. Jonah, who's supposed to know God best, is the least godly person in this whole book. 
should be sobering for, for all of us who are seeking to know God. And unfortunately, that's going to continue, but I'm going to stop there because I don't want to spoil the rest of the book. All right, here's the question for you this morning. Are, is there an area of your life that you may be in rebellion right now to the Lord? You, you should know if you are. If you're sensing in your spirit, like even what Terrell described earlier about sometimes God asking you to do something and you're just resisting and going in the opposite direction, you should know God takes that very seriously. And it's only a matter of time before he brings discipline into your life. You should know this if you're new in your faith. Or if you're exploring the the idea of following Jesus, you should know that God loves you so much that sometimes he brings hard discipline. But he brings great grace in the midst of that deep discipline. So the, the next time in your life when you feel out of control, when you feel like you're drowning, just I encourage you to ask the question, God, is there something for me to learn here? What, what do you have for me? What do you want me to learn? Humble yourself so that God doesn't have to break you. Last week, Jeremy spoke about strange grace in the life of Jim Elliott, who was a missionary to the Aka Indians, ended up being martyred. His wife, Elizabeth Elliot, went on to have an incredible ministry of encouragement and writing and, and teaching. And she, she shared an illustration that, that I want to close with here this morning. As she, as she described the scene that she witnessed when visiting friends at a, a Welsh sheep farm. Her, her shepherd friend knew that sheep are vulnerable to parasites. And sometimes those parasites could actually infect the the sheep to death if they were left untreated. And so once a year, her shepherd friend would take the sheep and gather them in his arms. And he would submerge them one by one in a vat of insect-killing antiseptic. And here's how she describes the scene. And see if this doesn't sound like Jonah. God disciplining Jonah and sometimes training us. One by one, John sees the animals. They would struggle to climb out the side, and Mac the sheepdog would snarl and snap at their faces to force them back under. When they tried to climb up the ramp in a panic, John the farmer would catch them, spin them around, force them under again, holding them, ears, eyes, and nose submerged for a few seconds. And as their master was pushing their head under, drowning them, at least as far as they could tell, Their panicky little eyes would look up over the edge of the vat, and it was easy to see what they were thinking. What are you doing? You may be asking that question right now of God. God, what? What are you doing? And I wonder if his answer to you might be, I'm delivering grace. Father, thank you that you love us so much, that you are not willing to let us get sick from the parasites in our lives, that you are not willing to let us continue running from you in rebellion, 
but you hurl storms into our lives sometimes to stop us in our tracks. You hurl us into the sea and you provide a a life raft. Sometimes not pleasant, sometimes like the belly of a fish. But all of it, Lord, done out of love and for our good. I pray for the person who's here this morning who may be in a season of discipline. Whether that discipline has been brought on by rebellion or whether it's been brought on just by the trials of life. Father, I pray, I pray that you would strengthen the heart of someone this morning who is weary, who is questioning your goodness. And Lord, help them to ask the question, God, what what would you have me learn from this? What, what are you building into my life through this difficulty? What parasite are you removing? Lord Jesus, give us the grace to, to humble ourselves before you. Help us not to have hard hearts that require hard discipline. Thank you for being good to us. And Lord, as we sing to you now, Lord, would you just fill our hearts, change our hearts, make us more like you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.